friends, colleagues, and co-conspirators. Welcome back to another episode of Brain Buds Podcast. I am your host, Drake, and this is a podcast that makes science accessible and enjoyable to listen to. Finally, you found the science psychology podcast that you've been looking for, uh, or you're a returning guest, and we are happy to have you back. And more importantly, on today's episode, we're going to be talking about something that's become pretty relevant in today's uh, <laughs> crazy world that we're in. Um, you've probably heard of the 5G conspiracy theories or the idea that Bill Gates is tracking us with all the vaccinations that are rolling out now. This is what we're going to be talking about today with two researchers from the University of Kent, Ricky Green and Mikey Biddlestone. And their research really gets into why people believe in these conspiracy theories or why they're more likely to and what kind of social interactions these people are having with each other. On today's episode, we talked about these conspiracy theory researchers' favorite conspiracy theories, things like David Icke's lizard people. Um, we talked about Jeffrey Epstein. We talked about 5G and <laughs> the tracking us through vaccines, uh, flat earthers, you name it. So if you're interested in why people are more likely to believe in conspiracy theories or curious as to why certain conspiracy be- theories are more believable, this is going to be the episode for you. Uh, so tune in. If you haven't followed us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook, please do follow us at BrainBuzzPod. Uh, and do make sure to follow us on Spotify and Apple Podcast and subscribe to our, our podcast wherever you're listening. Thank you so much and enjoy the episode. Welcome back to another episode of Brain Buzz Podcast. I am your host, Drake, and Kyle is still out with uh, parental leave, uh, and he's quite happy to be. Uh, today, we have two guests, uh, a little bit different than usual, but we have two awesome researchers from the University of Kent, uh, Ricky Green and Mikey Biddlestone. They are researching conspiracy theories in multiple forms. Uh, so I'll let you guys introduce yourselves and explain what you guys do and, and what research you're, you're interested in. Uh, Ricky, I guess you could go first. Yeah, sure. Yeah, so, yeah. so I'm Ricky, um, and I'm studying the psychology conspiracy theories at the University of Kent, and I'm in my uh, my third year of that PhD, so I'm in my final year, and I'm mainly looking at attachment theory and and how uh, attachment anxiety can predict uh, higher conspiracy belief, and, and and that's what I've been focusing on in my research. Yeah, and I'm uh, Mikey Biddlestone. I'm also a, a PhD researcher at the University of Kent, also in my third year, just finishing up. And uh, I research the kind of group processes side of conspiracy beliefs. So the things like uh, how we target specific outgroups when we believe in conspiracies or how we defend our in-group. Awesome. First off, let's talk about conspiracy theories in general, because I think that this has been a popular topic for our listeners and a lot of people have wanted to hear an episode on conspiracy theories. So we pulled in you guys as the experts uh, to come talk about it. I guess what is what is a true conspiracy theory? What are the like the prerequisites for a conspiracy theory? It's kind of these uh, different definitions that people tend to use, but um, it tends to be basically this kind of malevolent, secretive group of people behind closed doors sort of pulling the strings in society. Right. So it tends to be this sort of challenge of an official narrative. Um, and specifying this small group of people acting in secret, essentially, for their own selfish ends. Uh, that being said, you know, there's some disagreement around whether it's, you know, uh, it should only be um, powerful groups such as, you know, uh, politicians and rich people, or if it's uh, powerless groups such as, you know, um, ethnic minorities, for example, there's lots of conspiracies uh, on the right about ethnic minorities, and that's about relatively powerless groups. So 
uh, one of the issues in the research that we're kind of dealing with at the moment is it's been treated as this very kind of uh, uh, one-dimensional thing, right? This, the, the conspiracy beliefs are this general structure that um, if I believe in one, I'm going to believe in all of them. And, and that's that there is some research to suggest that if I believe in one conspiracy theory, I'm going to believe in others. Um, but that, but we're now finding that there are these kind of different psychological underpinnings depending on the sort of type of conspiracy theory, such as if it's about a powerful group or a powerless group. Yeah, yeah. And just drawing on, um, like some of the events that can happen in the world is what makes conspiracy theories more likely. I mean, if we take the current pandemic, uh, for example, you know, it's, it's a threat to all of our lives and, and um takes away a lot of our controls as well, you know, with the um, restrictions that are put in place. So, um, you know, this sort of thing has bred, has bred a lot of conspiracy theories that you can see, like they're spreading online around COVID-19. So, yeah, it's like circumstances, like uh, global events, like, you know, think about 9-11 as well. You know, you get these things that happen in the world that uh, create an uptick of, of conspiracy uh, theories. So, yeah, like threatening events as well is, is yeah, a real um, something that predicts these beliefs and how they come to flourish. What, what are your favorite um, conspiracy theories as researchers? I'm sure you're asked this all the time, but like, um, Mikey, what's your favorite conspiracy theories? If you Do you even have favorites? <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, that, it depends on what you mean by favorites. So I think in terms of the kind of ridiculousness of them, uh, I, I kind of like yeah. this one that didn't seem to take off where there was a subreddit my friend found that kind of got deleted quite quickly, which was the idea that uh, we're, all, <laughs> we're all being lied to about the fact that our bodies are mostly water. And the evidence that they were using is that uh, people can be allergic to water, basically, which is kind of a uh, misunderstanding of, of this the syndrome that you can have, essentially. So, yeah, I quite like that one because it's so out there and it never took off, which is really interesting. I think it's because it doesn't really like specify, uh, you know, a bad out group or something like that. So it's not as, as interesting to people. Uh, but in terms of the one that I think I'm definitely, you know, on the fence, not as on, on the fence about is um, is the Epstein didn't kill himself conspiracy theory. Definitely. I mean, that gets me, you know, the, I think that the first narrative that came out was that, you know, there's something going on here. And then afterwards, people were kind of talking about, yeah, oh, it's just the fact that he killed himself, you know? So yeah, it's, it's really hard not to be swayed by that one a little bit personally. Yeah, what about you, Ricky? Yeah, for myself, uh, I do quite like the odd one. Don't really research on that much, to be honest, because I normally look at, you know, general conspiracy beliefs, but mm -hmm. these ones are a bit out there. Um, you know, like David Icke's uh, shape-shifting lizards theory. Um, do you know about that? I haven't heard it. Have you not? Okay. So so basically anyone who's in power conveniently is, is actually just a shape-shifting lizard overlord right. that's come from somewhere else. <laughs> and, uh, you know, they, they control everything, you know? Uh, but this is like really high-end conspiracy belief and, you know, not as much people uh, are drawn to them as like uh, other normal, other gen relatively normal conspiracy theories. Um, but it goes a little bit further that one as well. So the uh, the, the way that humans who, who are not able to see these shapeshifters, the way that it works is that we're under under an illusion by the moon. You know, it's just a satellite that's beaming these mind altering things to us so that we, we can't see the reality in front of us, you know? Um, so yeah, David Icke's yeah, yeah. Uh, conspiracy theory. Also, anything that Alex Jones pops out with. I mean, some of them are quite bad yeah, and yeah. you know um, not that good, but some of them are really funny. Uh, he believes that um, about eighty percent of the frogs in some state in America are homosexual now because this is government testing <laughs> to to try out weapons that are going to turn the enemy homosexual. So apparently, they've been testing out on frogs there. And <laughs> there's lots of homosexual frogs running around. So I find that quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> Utopia. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> really. Those are awesome. First off, I do I do remember hearing about the lizard people controlling us. Uh, I didn't realize that how deep it went. Um, but when it comes to COVID, and you mentioned Ricky, like there's been a lot of you know conspiracy theories popping up with COVID. I kind of want to touch on that before we go forward because 
I've heard of like uh, the five G conspiracy, where like the five G towers are, I, especially that's a, that's a something that's quite popular in the UK mm. as well, right? That was a pretty like common conspiracy theory. Yeah, in, in seemed the UK, to kick off right? really hard, really early in the UK for some reason. Yeah, yeah. And so, so, what were some of the conspiracy theories that kind of that you think were the most gripping or kind of not necessarily compelling, but like prevalent, I guess, conspiracy theories for for the COVID. And why do you think they were kind of uh, taking everybody by storm and why people were so like willing to accept them? Mm-hmm. Um I guess I guess the most common one uh, was really the five G one, as you've mentioned. You know that the, yeah. the it's the five G masks are used to yeah um, uh, distribute COVID nineteen. Um, but there's also the ones, of course, about the vaccines that uh, Bill Gates uh, is kind of orchestrating this thing where he's putting uh, I think tracers uh, into the uh, kind of tracking mm-hmm. devices into the vaccines um, so that they can do what phones already do uh, and track us in the same way um, for some reason. Um, so, so those right. were the, definitely the, the most. Common. That one seems more problematic. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think, in terms of uh, health it, it, behavior, am I am I alone by thinking that that one seems worse? You mean in terms of its outcome? The way that I see it, I mean, it's, it's because I I think that the second one you're talking about mm. the trackers, because it, yeah, maybe the outcome, but the behavioral changes yeah. that can occur from people truly believing well, that. Whereas five G, you know, mm. I mean, realistically, it did affect <clears throat> behaviors because people were destroying cell mm-hmm. towers, but for the greater masses. Um, I'm thinking of, you know, vac- vaccination and trying to improve immunity uh, as a population. It could have a lot more significant consequences. Well, well it, it's basically the same for both. So, you know, the thing that we find with the 5G ones and the kind of general conspiracy belief is it generally reduces people or uh, is linked to reduced intentions to follow guidelines that reduce the spread of COVID-19, right? So if I believe in the conspiracies, oh, I don't think okay. it's real generally. So I, I I tend to not want to follow those guidelines, which has its own implications. But you're right. I think with the vaccine ones, yeah, the fact that people are going to not do the whole vaccine uptake thing and and um, and not believe that they're going to um, create herd immunity and that kind of thing, I think that has more direct implications. I think you're right um, for society. I don't know if you agree, Ricky. If there's like more negative implications on those as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, um, just taken away from the COVID context, we know that there's consequences. There's there's empirical literature on on this that shows the consequences of conspiracy beliefs. Um, so, looking at before COVID came about, um, um, and this is actually research that our supervisor, Professor Karen Douglas, um, and her ex student carried out. Jolly, um, um, yeah, Jolly, and basically they exposed um, <clears throat> participants to uh, these conspiracy theories regarding uh, vaccines uh, about like how they um uh you know can have bad effects and the government are hiding this stuff up and uh and then they found that they had a, a decrease in intentions to vaccinate a, a fictitious child like in the future compared to participants who were not shown these conspiracy theories so we already know that there's uh you know consequential um there's consequences to, to these beliefs and um and i'm pretty sure that there has been research that shows that there's consequences of covid covid19 conspiracy beliefs on vaccine intentions mm, there is yeah yeah, yeah. So there is actually direct evidence of this, you know, this this problem that can occur if people believe in these particular conspiracy theories. So yeah, it, it is an issue. I mean, it seems obvious now that somebody that believes that five G spreads COVID might less likely be wearing a mask and respecting social distance at that mm-hmm. time, right? Uh, and and their behaviors are definitely impacted by you know what they're exposed to. This seems particularly more problematic and maybe more uh, relevant these days because of. Uh, globalization and online communication do you think that um this was as big of a problem say 30 years ago when people weren't communicating as much so 
Uh, there's interesting stuff on that. So there's this uh, really good paper. I think, I don't know if you remember, Ricky, is it like 2015, I think it was from, where they, they looked at, um, I think it was the Chicago Tribune over something like, you know, it was over 100 years, I think, um, uh, a long period of time, basically. And what they found was the mention of conspiracy theories uh, does fluctuate over time, um, mostly in, in accordance with, you know, political events like elections and things like that. So they increase over elections. But overall, there isn't this general increase in conspiracy theory belief anyway. Um, However, uh, that's that's kind of um, yeah. uh, looking at a, a very specific kind of subset of where the conspiracy theories are distributed. Uh, what that doesn't look at is kind of our propensity to believe in conspiracy theories, right? And I think with uh, the the use of the internet and stuff, and the the ease of distributing and the cheapness of distributing this misinforma misinformation um, for kind of malicious actors, um, is just there's so many benefits for them to kind of control the narrative and stuff. So while I think there might not necessarily be this change over time in like an increase in belief, so if I'm susceptible to conspiracy theories. I was probably going to believe them anyway. That doesn't really change. But the point is that I'm going to be more likely to encounter conspiracy theories when I log on to the internet, right? And that's the point I think is the exposure of conspiracy theories has definitely increased. Um, despite the fact that, you know, I don't think there is this increase in the number of conspiracy theories that that is around, if that makes sense. It takes more creativity to, to uh, come up with these conspiracy theories, mm -hmm. I think. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's just that people are more exposed to them and able, are more... Maybe, you don't you're not sure if they're actually more um willing to believe them, yeah exactly right? yeah it's just that they're more exposed exactly to it. yeah 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 spread more mm -hmm. uh like you can only really go by polls at the moment to get an idea of how much of a whole population is drawn to particular conspiracy theories and i think that it's quite low with like the covid 19 conspiracies compared to you know other more popular ones and um you know just back to the question of like whether um, if we didn't have the communications media that we have now, whether it would be the COVID-19 conspiracies would be as big. Well, I think it, it might possibly be the same, you know, um, it's just that we might not see the conspiracy theories as much, you know, we just, they're just there in our face now, a lot easier through this communication. Mm. Um, but, mm. you know, going back to the point I made earlier, this, this is a real super threat to, to everyone. It actually, it literally threatens our lives, uh, but it also takes away our freedoms and stuff like that. And it's this sort of thing, which is like a real. Uh, uh, the main ingredient for for conspiracy theories to thrive so you know whether we had media the same communications 30 years ago or something you know i don't think that would have changed things they would have still been everyone would have still been threatened they would have had their um, freedoms reduced and stuff like that and so it may have had the same sort of effect back then yeah just ge like geographically locked but you're still going to still have you know the like Mikey was saying, those those groups that are underprivileged or underpowered that are being manipulated because of these conspiracy theories, mm -hmm. right, and being a, being taken advantage of. Mm -hmm. um, but it's just not happening at a more global level. It's just happening in your cities and your towns that mm -hmm. you're in. Definitely, but I think that that being said, you know, I think with Trump, we saw a big thing of the use of conspiracy theories and that kind of like. Uh, for need of a better word, like the perfection of the use of conspiracy theories in order to control your narrative, you know, like it really captured a kind of subset of the population in the US and was able to really control their perceptions by using kind of the conspiracy narrative to his advantage, you know, um, and essentially ended up kind of is isolating right. this group of people to uh, no matter what, just continue supporting him. There's just always an explanation as to why he's the, the best person in the world, you know, the moral crusader or something. So like you would probably consider the... The, the idea that Trump actually won the election that was a mis miscount would be a conspiracy theory, right? Definitely, yeah. Uh, I mean, yes, yeah. Basically, yeah, if someone was to say that, well, Trump's not in power because it was rigged and uh, that blah, 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 then yeah, that's that's a conspiracy theory, yeah, <laughs> for yeah. sure. Uh, it's funny that you said that 
when you said Ricky that there's there's tangible issues and problems that can occur from conspiracy theories, I don't think a lot of people, myself included, before we you know started talking to you, really would have considered that to be the truth. Like it just mm. seems like conspiracy theories are just kind of these things that are like, yeah. okay, someone's kind of off the rocker and they're thinking mm. that this is the case. But it's it's a lot more prevalent than that, and there's a lot more uh, tangible issues and and behaviors that are occurring from these conspiracy theories, right, guys? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and. Um, you know, if you look at like uh, um, uh, the moon landings the, the, for the US and, you know, some people might think that they're faked. Well, you know, there's no I can't think of any consequences that can come from that, you know, apart from someone may trust the government a bit less, you know. But when has a government ever had the full trust uh, of its population anyway? So it's not, you know, like um, but but then there are actually loads of examples of, of these consequences. And, um, you know, loads of bits of research that shows basically a reduction in uh, climate change, uh, trying to reduce your carbon footprint if you're exposed to climate change conspiracy theories. As I said before, vaccination, there's less uptake if you're exposed to them theories. We, As research that we've done as well, there's lower social distancing uh, and hygiene practices being done during a pandemic if they believe in these conspiracy theories. And and, um, and I think there's, there's there's loads of examples of many others, which um, I can't quite... Can, can you think of any others? I know there's like workplace uh, consequences as well. Mikey, do you... Yeah, yeah, there's the workplace. I think also, like, I mean, yeah, again, going back to like the the Trump thing uh, is is that you know the January sixth kind of attack on the Capitol. I think was a huge one in terms of like it Mm. it wasn't just this kind of general effect of the fact that you've been exposed to this conspiracy and then you know it kind of slightly reduces your intentions. This kind of galvanized a whole group of I I would say you know populist uh, people who who and you know there's this idea that like conspiracy thinking is sort of baked into populism a little bit because it's about you know the people versus the powers that be and that kind of thing um and i think that allows the narrative to be really uh, manipulated a bit into much more conspiratorial like terms um but yeah like i say you know the the, the attack on the capital i think was a big wake up call for the kind of you know without being too dramatic the kind of hitler-esque um ability to sort of uh, c- uh control you know a small group of people so that they feel like their actions are legitimate when really what's happening is that they're like a danger to democracy essentially um so that was a big wake-up call in terms of how conspiracy theories can leak right. into the real world i think yeah I, I, it's it seems like there's kind of what ricky's getting at is like this idea of like it's passively affecting like your 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 thoughts are affecting your behaviors in a passive way and and you're mentioning you know the attack on the capital would be a very active like galvanizing like change and, and action right away which are two equally problematic things where you know you're, you're hoping that the population is looking out for the best of everybody but these conspiracy theories can kind of conflate what's best for the population definitely yeah that, that's a really good way to put it and actually it just reminded me is, is there's this idea of um you know with the misinformation uh there's this thing i learned about recently called stochastic terrorism which is the idea that you put out this kind of radicalizing idea out onto the internet um, and the idea is that you're not necessarily targeting a specific person or a group of people, but the point is that it's out there now. So by putting it out there, you're essentially indirectly causing a terrorist attack, if that makes sense. And I think that there's an element of that in this, which is you're talking right. about the passivity of it and that kind of thing and the indirectness of it, I think really plays into it and the difference yeah, between that kind of passive and much more manipulated yeah, actions and collective action. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, so like... Let's talk a little bit about. Um, I think this kind of goes towards Ricky's work, and then I and then then we'll talk a little bit more about Mikey's like the social aspect of it because I think that's a really fascinating aspect of of conspiracy theories. Um, we haven't even mentioned flat earthers yet, guys. <laughs> well, no, <laughs> I'm sure that one's a very common one with you guys. <laughs> Definitely, yeah. No, that's a great one. 
Um, so, so I mean, Ricky, like when it comes to this, you're talking about attachment theory and that always kind of, whenever I hear attachment theory, I think of like, you know, trying to explain why things are occurring or why people believe these things. Mm -hmm. Um, do you want to explain briefly what your work is? Maybe you can't explain specifically why people believe conspiracy theories, but like Uh why people might be more prone to believe them maybe. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, sure. Um, yeah. So that's kind of what my research is doing, I'm looking at psychological factors that will make it more likely for someone to be drawn to these uh, conspiracy theories. And um, and yeah, in my research, I found something called attachment anxiety to be a predictor of these beliefs. And um, so what attachment anxiety is, it's like a kind of a, a relationship uh, style that we have and, and our, in, in our approach to relationships. And uh, we, we have different approaches, uh, approaches um, and for the most part, most people have secure attachment styles. So, you know, and what that means is that we feel uh, happy about ourselves and we feel uh, happy about others in relationships. So we trust others and we, we, we're confident that we're, you know, that we're fine in relationships. So most people are secure. Um, but there are two other sort of predominant attachment styles. And, um, and the other one is, which is not what I focus on, but it's, a, it's attachment avoidance. And this is where you tend to have positive views of yourself but you have negative views of others so you don't you know you're not really bothered about relationships and you're quite happy to 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 be on your own and um but then there's attachment anxiety where you do have positive views of others but you have a negative view of yourself so and and i'm finding that it's this attachment anxiety that predicts uh, conspiracy belief and when i look into attachment theory and and what and what it means to be anxiously attached they have a tendency to catastrophize um, and to make things seem considerably considerably worse than what they actually are. So that's kind of the reason why I think that they might be drawn to them, because they have this tendency to view things as much worse than what they actually are. And the reasons that they, they do this, uh, so, so, so says attachment theory, is that they do it so that they can get the attention and uh, uh, from, from, from partners and friends and family, because they don't feel that no one will pay attention to them unless they are catastrophizing. So that's why we think, that's why I think that people with attachment anxiety are drawn to these conspiracy theories because it's another way to, you know, catastrophize life's problems and, and try and draw the attention uh, from their friends and from, from their friends and family. So does that make sense with why attachment anxiety might, uh, yeah, predict conspiracy belief? Is that kind of clear? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, actually, it does. It's 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 a connection that I never thought would have thought of until I started reading your work uh, and and in the focus of your work. So it's like um, because I, I think attachment theory is an interesting thing. It's something that I was interested in doing before I went into my program in grad school. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, it cut. There's a. I, I think that you t- you say it in a way that makes complete sense. Um, it, it's it's originally uh, developmental theory right mm-hmm. the idea of like how you're attached to your parent can impact mm-hmm. your future attachments and things like that right and mm-hmm. i think anxious avoidance or anxious attachment um often when it comes to relationships uh when you're older which i think is like you know you're talking about not kids here that are talking about conspiracy theories yes. you're talking about you know fully grown mm-hmm. adults that, that maintain those avoidant uh, or mm-hmm. anxious attachments or secure attachments that anxious attachment is um it's unique, right? Because it, sometimes it's associated with, with being over, you know, over clingy, needy, or, you know, being resistant to others because you're worried that they'll leave you. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. And, I, and I see that that connection between catastrophizing, wanting to be acknowledged by others and to get them to come closer to you by kind of overreacting and mm-hmm. catastrophizing. So that's mm-hmm. kind of, you know, it, it makes complete sense to me. 
Right. And so, so, so what, so how did you kind of go about doing this or what did you find within this, uh, yeah. this work? Yeah, cool. So, yeah, so that, so firstly, I established a relationship between attachment anxiety and conspiracy belief. And that's in a paper that I published after my master's. And now in my PhD, I'm basically, this is my PhD now. I'm, I'm diving further into this relationship and figuring out what is it that, you know, makes this relationship happen. And, you know, as I said, reading attachment theory, um, catastrophizing was, you know, the first thing that I thought, right, let's see if, if catastrophizing, so it's a new element that I'm bringing into the study where I'm now measuring catastrophizing alongside attachment anxiety and conspiracy belief. And, um, and I, and I do find that, uh, and I should say as well, that I'm also measuring all of the, you know, the attachment styles at the same time. So I have avoidance in there, but you yeah. know, when, when we run them all in analysis, uh, the only thing that pops up is, a, is high attachment anxiety. We do, we do sometimes find it's the combination of low avoidance and, and high anxiety, but generally it's just, you know, highly uh, anxiously attached individuals that are drawn to these conspiracy theories but yeah in this new research i've been doing at the moment um we are finding and um, we've measured catastrophizing in a number of ways and um, what we found is that attachment anxiety predicts catastrophizing about pain stress social situations you know they, they will just report it as being much more threatening than people who are secure or avoidant and what we also find is that all of these all of these means of catastrophizing also predict uh, conspiracy beliefs. So this hasn't been looked at uh, before in the literature, uh, specifically looking at catastrophizing and conspiracy belief. But, you know, in the, in the data that I've got at the moment, which is still in progress, so it probably won't be published for a while. But, um, uh, yeah, we are finding that attachment anxiety predicts catastrophizing, which in turn predicts, um, uh, yeah, conspiracy belief. So we are finding that that link there. And, um, and kind of going from that, um, because one of the challenges we know we've talked about some of the consequences of conspiracy belief and so one of the challenges now is to see how we how we can uh, attenuate you know these negative effects of conspiracy beliefs and it's quite a difficult job to do um it, there's no silver bullet or, or golden bullet whatever the phrase is i'm not quite sure um but 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 going yeah, from my brief, yeah <laughs> yeah okay cool thanks <laughs> but going by um the findings <laughs> i have um and also these are ideas um not new ideas, but some, in fact, the, yeah, Karen Douglas and Alexander Chiotska, our supervisors, have uh, talked about how, you know, how can we reduce these beliefs? Well, maybe it's not best to tackle them head on and to try and, you know, say, look, what you're believing in isn't correct, but it might be best to, to go to the root of the problem and to deal with people's anxiety issues, to deal with the way that they think. So just going back to bringing it back to my research is because I know that catastrophizing is linked to conspiracy belief and attachment anxiety as well. That there's there's interventions in clinical psychology that actually deal with uh, helping people to not catastrophize anymore. It's called cognitive restructuring. So that's like this final aim of of my PhD, uh, this last sort of project, which I'm um, hopefully going to be running soon, where we're going to be sort of testing these ideas to see if we can uh, reduce people's anxieties basically and 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 help them improve their thinking styles to see if this can inadvertently also reduce conspiracy beliefs because we're not going to tackle the beliefs but we are going to measure them but we're going to see if this intervention can can do something about it so um yeah that's kind of yeah. like an end game of, of where i want to get with this attachment and catastrophizing uh, business so <laughs> it's always important when we're doing research not to just say oh this explains this you have to kind of look at for mediators or moderators right and mm -hmm. that's kind of what you're doing with catastrophization right you can't just say mm -hmm. oh because you're anxiously uh, attached you're going to be believing in conspiracy theories right mm -hmm. it just doesn't end at that mm -hmm. uh, and the work that you're doing is awesome in a sense that you're trying to figure out a way to you know 
reduce the amount of people that are like re readily available or readily, readily willing to believe mm -hmm. conspiracy theories and through not just telling them that the conspiracy theories are wrong because mm -hmm. we know you know anytime someone strongly believes something telling them they're wrong is not the solution right it's, mm -hmm. it's you have to give them reasons or there has to be other other things going on to to fix the way that they're thinking mm -hmm. um and, and i think that's a really unique perspective too to consider within conspiracy theories is that you know you can't just tell somebody I, i'm i'm sure everybody's had a situation where someone believed in a conspiracy theory or believed something you didn't believe uh and you just told them straight up they are wrong mm -hmm. <laughs> how many people actually change their opinion immediately after that right uh, probably zero yeah. percent mm -hmm. and zero i think that the work that you're doing you know yeah, yeah <laughs> maybe one in a million like there's possible <laughs> chance. Uh, but i think that's a really cool approach and a really cool line of work that you're you're focusing on to to address that on that topic then you know it's I, i'm trying to kind of play the devil's advocate here and think of the way that we're looking at this and where we're talking about people that believe in conspiracy theories, because our perspective is that they're wrong. What is, what is the, you know, how can you play the devil's advocate of being like, maybe we're wrong and the conspiracy theory is right. Right. Like what, what, do, what is your, what do you guys think about that? Or have you thought about that while you're doing the work? Mm, I'll, I'll give it to yeah, Mikey yeah, and then yeah, Ricky yeah. can, can. Yeah. Can that's good. Was yeah, we have to consider it, you know, and I think early on, definitely in the PhD, there was this, it was very easy to just sort of say, these are all just wrong, you know, beliefs or whatever. Yeah. Um, but I think it's a really good point. And, you know, there's, there's this push to kind of distinguish between uh, what they would consider, you know, rational suspicion and irrational suspicion, um, which is also really d difficult to distinguish, you know, and you have to think of ways to kind of define that. Um, and uh, there's some recent uh, research, which I think is really interesting on this, which is that, um, so there's, as I've mentioned previously, there's like these beliefs about powerless or powerful groups. Um, and uh, this kind of um, propensity to believe in conspiracy theories about powerless groups, I think, in my opinion, is is much less um, rational, I guess, is, is a word that I'd be apprehensive to use, uh, just because it's, it's much less likely that a very small powerless group of people is going to be able to uh, orchestrate something that would pull the strings behind the scenes, you know, in society. Uh, but on the other hand, you know, these these conspiracy theories about mm. very powerful groups, I think, make, make much more sense, you know, because they do have powerful influence in the world with the money and this kind of thing. Um, so that being said, you know, it, it's, I think it has to be judged on a kind of case by case basis with conspiracy theories. And at the same time, I think it's important not to really get bogged down too much in whether it's true or not. The, the point is, what kind of evidence is it based on? And I think that, you know, when when what we know from the research is that people tend to approach uh, kind of ambiguous evidence with intuitive processing styles when they when they tend to believe in conspiracy theories. This is kind of like you're relying on gut feelings. Essentially, you, you have a faith in your intuition as opposed to looking at it kind of analytically and looking yeah. for evidence that corroborates it. So kind of with a an annoying answer, I think it's more about how people approach the information and the evidence as opposed to what the actual theory is in the first place. Right. Um, if you're relying on gut feelings, I think you need to be more considerate of yeah whether this might be an irrational suspicion versus a rational one. This is this is actually really important information for everybody to have because I think it's so such a problem right now. And I think my assumption is that there's probably a link between conspiracy beliefs and you know faith in science, perhaps, or, or faith in you know uh, authority figures and, and just research in general. Um, so, what do you think is like the link there? Like, how how can somebody say that they're well researched? Because this is this is a pet peeve of mine um, as a researcher. Hearing people say, "I've researched I've researched this topic," so you need to trust me. Hmm. 
what is research what should research look like guys <laughs> what is what is what is rationally researching something and doing your your you know your work to, to find something because you know you can look online you can google things um and find the top 100 hits and they will get like they will agree with whatever conspiracy you believe mm -hmm. you have right so how how can you be diligent about this what are, what are some strategies that you guys would recommend if you can uh, for people that you know want to be more knowledgeable, but they just don't know how, other than googling or YouTubing things. But I'm sure that a lot of you know conspiracy believers have told this a lot anyway. So I, I don't know how far this information will go, but you know, really looking at the source, um, you know, who's saying who's saying it, um, you know, and is it really credible? Uh, can it be backed up? Um, you know, are, are other sources backing this up as well? Um, and looking for like you know, look into official sources as well. I mean, you can get official information off of Facebook, social media and things like that. Um, but, you know, whatever you do get off of social media companies, look to see if it is from a, you know, reputable source. Um, if it's academic literature, that's great. Or if it's actual, uh, you know, um, well full opinions by, by people. Are, I mean, I'm not too sure, but um, yeah, I mean, for me, it's just, yeah, looking at the source and, and making sure that it's credible. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's hard, though, because what I have noticed in a lot of conspiracy videos is that a lot of them now do have doctors in them and PhDs in them. But, you know, not everyone, <laughs> anyone can get a PhD and not to put our not to put our stuff down, you know, but like you do see. Uh, and We're not you, special. We're not special. Yeah. yeah and but like, because you'd think that if someone has a PhD, then less less authority speaking there. Right. And you but I see that they're they're saying it a lot in. Um, uh, yeah, in those conspiracy videos, they're actually getting doctors in and PhDs in. And but then when you look, sometimes they're talking way out of their field. So that's something else you should look out for that. OK, you might say that this video is credible because it has doctor whoever there, but find out what their actual credentials are and see what they're talking about now. And it might be totally different. You know, they might have done a PhD in something else, but now they're talking about epidemiological uh, uh, epidemiological stuff. You know, it's just so be mindful of stuff like that. It might appear to be, you know, legit, but I'd say check the name of that doctor and and look further back. <laughs> yeah, I think I think keeping keeping uh, you know the authority or whoever the authority is that's kind of the the resource or the source that you're using. Make being more knowledgeable about what they do and why you should trust them is really important. Not just taking their doctor title or whatever title they have as credentials, right? I think there's quite a simple approach by how easy it is to kind of access information in the first place. You know, I think it's quite easy also to just look for conflicting information. And I think a really good approach is to just actively do that automatically. So if there's a piece of information that you encounter that you you feel like really changes your perspective on something, feels like everything, you know, now makes sense and, and that kind of thing. I think it's just a good idea as, as a sort of rule of thumb to, to approach it in these things in this way is to just quickly go on Google and type in something that is essentially the opposite of what you've just read and see whether there are sources that are also saying the exact opposite. And often you can find something if you literally just, you know, type in the phrase debunked or something like that. But the point is that people don't want to do that because the reason they believe in these conspiracy theories is because it makes their world make sense and it. It, it kind of... Uh, feels like it attenuates a lot of the kind of existential worries that they have in the world um, and it also of course makes them feel unique it bolsters their self-image yeah. and things like that so um, it's just kind of too attractive to some people and so what I mean is if you really do want to be a kind of a, a genuine rational skeptic then definitely just try and google the opposite of what you've just read yeah right yeah confirmation bias is uh it's a killer definitely, right yeah. like being whenever people validate your thoughts or beliefs it's it's <laughs> rewarding Tasty, yeah. to have that kind of sense of community almost or like you know 
camaraderie. Mm -hmm. And and on that topic, then, Mikey, let's kind of get into your work then, Mm -hmm. because there is another side of this, right? I, I, I definitely think that there, there's, there must be a source of uh, a sense of community within these conspiracy theorists, right? Definitely, definitely. So there's a lot of research into kind of Reddit communities about conspiracies and things. The idea is that I think partly things like forums and social media and stuff like that has really created this kind of alternative to people who would otherwise just be sort of ostracized, you know? And, um, by that, I mean the people who are kind of, they have a real kind of conspiracy mindset about the world. They believe in lots of different conspiracy theories. I think the internet has really acted as a sort of um, uh, support group, you know, support network for them. Um, and I think that that has good and bad things, you know, I think it means that at least they're not um, ostracized and lonely and things like that. Um, but at the same time, it becomes this echo chamber, which, you know, has been chatted about in the, the media for years now about how it really just confirms these biases that we already have. Um, but yeah, the, the, the element that I research in that is that basically um, there's this kind of very well-known, um, uh, well, uh, very commonly attributed um, idea of uh, the identification we have with our, our in-group, right? So uh, if, I, if I have um, uh, high identification with a group that has a certain interest, um, this conventional identification with this in-group means that I'm likely to feel satisfied by this group identity. I'm, I'm likely to see them as part of my personal identity. Uh, I'm also likely to kind of do things for the group, which really benefits the group as opposed to just myself, right? I might actually be altruistic and and do something that doesn't really help me, but it helps the whole group. Um, so that's kind of conventional identification. But what I look at is uh, narcissistic identification. And what this is, is it's, it's still positive about your in-group, but it's based on this kind of insecure uh, preoccupation for to uh, gain higher recognition for your in-group. So it's this idea that you're kind of a victim and that your group is not recognized as much as it should be. And that's why it crosses over with narcissism in a kind of individual sense, because, mm. you know, individual narcissism is is the idea that kind of everyone's against you. They're constantly trying to undermine you. So it's very defensive in that sense. So similarly to how actually individual narcissism predicts conspiracy beliefs in the sense that it's kind of this uh, yeah defensive response to um, kind of deflecting from your own psychological shortcomings in the collective sense with collective narcissism what it tends to be is protecting your group or defending your group um, by basically using conspiracy theories to deflect right. from your in-group shortcomings uh, and what this tends to mean is you have to specify an outgroup mm. to be responsible for this right so it can't be that your in-group is ha- has faults or anything it has to be that an outgroup is responsible for your your negative circumstances so what you do is select an antagonistic outgroup to be the sort of conspirator um in in this network of, of uh, beliefs and stuff um yeah so that i think this is a lot of where kind of like anti-semitic yeah. conspiracy beliefs come from right and it, it's this sort of um uh these stereotypes about like powerful and, and competent but cold um in terms of anti-semitism right um and i think it's kind of a very a common outgroup conspiracy mm-hmm. because of that um but it can also be different contexts you know in a national sense uh if i'm if i have national narcissism with the fact that i'm british for example i'm more likely to believe that foreign governments are undermining you know things that the british government do uh so for example maybe if, if there's british you know right. vaccine vaccine rollout yeah. if something goes wrong if, if i had national narcissism i would say it's everyone else's fault right rather than the british government for doing something wrong the vaccine rollout yeah so that's basically the 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 aspect that i look at with my research yeah i i think of um flat earthers as an example like there's flat earther conventions where people are meeting and you know their antagonistic group would probably be nasa the government yes right and and disbelieving anybody that thinks that the world's round Mm -hmm. or a globe uh i think that's a it's a really unique perspective right it, it does seem like it's combative though right this like mm-hmm. this collective narcissism is like it's us against everyone else or us against Definitely, you know whoever yeah. the enemy is 
Um, mm-hmm. And I could see that be- causing a lot of issues, especially, you know, your, your example of anti-Semitism and, you know, uh, blaming Jewish people for whatever your issues mm-hmm. are. As soon as you start collectively doing that as a group, that's that's a hate group, right? That's, yeah. that's a, you're literally hating on another group. Well, actually, yeah. So it's, it's good that you said that, actually, because, you know, like it does, it, it's linked to kind of outgroup derogation and outgroup conflict. But actually, what um, some research that I've been doing uh, that's actually under review at the moment is uh, showing that not only do um, collective narcissists uh, believe in conspiracy theories about outgroups, they are also more likely to be willing to conspire against their fellow in group members. So um, basically, what this suggests is that because of this kind of insecure identification with their in group, as opposed to this kind of conventional positive in group identification, um, they are basically willing to uh, uh, let let um, cut loose their fellow in-group members right because basically what they're doing is they're using the group uh, as opposed to actually having this this full-on you know positive identification with them um, so yeah basically what we kind of concluded from this research was that um, especially populists because we found it was particularly in Trump supporters um, basically we should be we should watch out for those people unsurprisingly you know because they might be the people that not only are going to do things like um, storm the capital and stuff but they may actually screw each other over within their own identity groups you know so they're just not people that we should trust um of course we should help but yeah it's not it's not good to trust them in conspiratorial (laughs) terms of course right yeah you don't want to be partnering up with a group that's about narcissism for the group but also focused on themselves as well and and validating their own opinions over yeah it's about them it's the self that sounds very toxic (laughs) (laughs) it does sounds sounds like a relationship you don't want to be in (laughs) is it across the board that they're generally you're seeing this collective narcissism or are there specific like groups within conspiracy theories that are less like that um that are less necessarily like defensive i guess against their conspiracy theory group um in group not really i I think i think the point is that it's about the type of identification as opposed to what group it is right so we've found that it's been shown in lots of different contexts so the interesting thing with collective narcissism is you don't just because i mean you know a very helpful one to think about is nationalism so you know i I have this kind of superiority belief about my nation that's very intuitive to people but you can also have similar sentiments but within different group contexts so for example there's uh some some research that my supervisor has been doing alexandra chahotska on um these uh this identification with uh polish uh, Catholic collective narcissism uh, and that tends to predict this belief in uh, a kind of gender conspiracy so that's the idea that um, uh, feminists are trying to undermine you know classic values in society and, and they're trying to change society for the worse uh, what we need to do is defend society and be conservative about things you know and that, that's in the kind of Catholic sense so that's your identification with Catholicism in Poland um, and there's also uh, data on like sports teams as well and, and the fact that you kind of see more of a difference between your own team and other teams. We've recently done a study on the uh, the European Super League uh, that was mentioned where we found similar effects with, you know, when people have a collective narcissistic kind of team identification, uh, there's these kind of negative effects, which uh, we still need to analyze really. But yeah, um, so yeah, it's all context basically. So no, I don't think there is a group where it wouldn't be the case. It's about the type of identification. So just, just, to, just to go on that, I think kind of just something what you saying that it is basically like uh, collective narcissism is a robust predictor of all different conspiracy beliefs like it, it you know but it, it doesn't mean that there's a particular group that is all highly narcissist collectively narcissistic but for the people who are in these groups that are that do score highness you know collective narcissism then they more than likely believe in conspiracy theory so you know basically like all, it seems like all collective narcissists are very inclined to believe in conspiracy theories but it doesn't mean that it's not really speaking to whether a whole group of uh, people are collective narcissists mm-hmm. that makes sense 
Although, although that, that being right. said, though, when we did our, our research on national narcissism in the US, we found that Trump supporters were higher in, in national narcissism, US national narcissism. So um, there are groups that, you know, uh, sorry, that's compared to Clinton voters. So basically, there maybe are groups where collective narcissism is more likely to thrive. But the idea is that, you know, it's the narciss the collective narcissism itself, as opposed to the fact that they are, you know, Trump supporters or, um, or populists or something. It's about the identification type. Yeah, there's so many different aspects like you're talking about, you know, why people are individually uh, drawn to conspiracy theories. And then as a group, you know, why they stay in mm -hmm. it or why they're focused on it. There's there's a lot of levels to this. Um, what um, if you guys can kind of talk about the opposite side of this, it's like, what are the benefits of believing in conspiracy theories, you know, other than, you know, group affiliation? Are there other benefits to believing in conspiracy theories? Um. <laughs> Psychologically, uh, no, I'd say at the moment, and even yeah, other than that, no, really. I mean, it's, it can bring about change on a societal level. Uh, you know, like some conspiracy theories aren't always just theories; they are they turn out to be facts sometimes. So, you know, they can promote change, and they can uh, maybe promote transparency within governments and things like that. Um, so there, there are there can be some benefits, and and you know. Uh, being believing in conspiracy theories is maybe a good sign for you know uh, it's i think it's been called as like a healthy sign uh, for democracy and things like that you know at least we're challenging um we're not just allowing the status quo to stay the same and stuff like that so there are some like uh yeah benefits like that can come about from it not, none that i know of that um like of anything that's actually happened but you know there are these ideas that have been talked about you know they are kind of they're seen as a good health sign for democracy and things like that i think it's like the, the implied mechanisms can be positive right so like ricky said you know it's like maybe a sign of a healthy democracy there's also this this idea in the literature that there's kind of an evolutionary uh basis to uh conspiracy beliefs right and the idea is that it's based on this kind of tribalism to protect your group the idea is that it's adaptive to be suspicious about groups right because they might be a tribe that may be willing to kind of mm. undermine your tribe or to to uh, exploit your tribe something like that right so in an evolutionary sense then then it right. kind of makes sense but uh i guess what what we say or is implied by our research is that this is kind of not really that functional now and it sort of goes overboard you know and, and yeah. it goes too far and what it can do is backfire and just mean that you don't actually perceive the world in real terms you just see it in suspicious terms the current school of thought at the moment is that people are drawn to these conspiracy theories as a way to satisfy psychological needs so that's that's the that's kind of the the theoretical development at the at, at the moment with conspiracy theory literature is that people may be drawn to these things uh, to these ideas to satisfy certain psychological needs so in that what that kind of says is that okay so our conspiracy do they satisfy uh, these psychological needs that's something that you know the, the, we think that they're drawn to them to do this, but we don't know whether they actually do create, you know, uh, alleviate anxiety or, or, or things like that. that but um, so I was going to say, like, psychologically, we don't know of any psychological benefits. We don't know if they actually will make people feel better psychologically, you know, by, by drawing to these theories. But there is actually research to show that they might actually, you know, the opposite of that, that in fact, these conspiracy theories breed more anxiety uh, or, or can, can bring about more feelings of anxiety in people, you know, like, um, because then they, they start going further down the rabbit hole and they start getting even more uncertain about the world and become even more anxious. So I know that wasn't exactly the question that you asked, what is the benefits? But psychologically, I don't think there really no. are any benefits. And uh, but, but, but it's just funny that you asked that because that is kind of the framing of the, the developments at the moment of, 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 the, of the reasons of why we think people are drawn to them as a means to satisfy psychological needs, but um, doesn't seem like they do that at the moment. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, I think, you know, you, you want to know why people are really drawn to it. And I guess there, there has to be some sort of reason that, you know, that it's beneficial. They see benefit in it. And I think the, the group affiliation makes sense to me. And, you know, being able to, you know, create that community makes sense. And, and why they're more likely to believe in that. Now we know, Ricky, based on the work that you're doing, you know, there are behavioral and like attachment theory behind that possibly personality variables as well and other things that draw people to those those uh those beliefs it's it's just an interesting uh i i see i see it as like a creativity thing like oh yeah you could see like i some people see it as entertainment but then whenever it stops becoming entertainment that's when you might i think that you guys would probably say it becomes problematic right definitely that's that's a really good point that actually i think the literature kind of fails to identify is is the different kind of approaches to believing in conspiracy theories you know like what what is genuine belief in conspiracy theories? Because it could be that it's more of a functional thing, right? So for example, we know that people who want to display themselves as unique and, and special, uh, they tend to be believers in conspiracy theories. But whether that means that they genuinely believe the conspiracy theory or not is a different subject, right? It's, it's an identifying signal. How genuine is that belief? And that's something that's really hard to capture, especially with our kind of the way that we design studies and stuff. It's, it's still early days, you know, in terms of uncovering these effects. But yeah, I think that's a really important distinction. Yeah. And I think you guys had mentioned it earlier as well. You know, you guys are using self-report just like a lot of researchers are in psychology. And that is this is contentious, right? This is contentious work where people might not want to truly tell the, you know, be honest about their beliefs about conspiracy theories because they know they're in the minority, right? So when you're asking, do you believe in these things, they might be less forthcoming uh, and that, you know, they might have that bias where they want to, you know, make themselves look better by saying, oh, no, I don't I don't think of conspiracy theories that way, but they might truly feel that way. Uh, and so that's always tough within, you know, self-report research or in psychology and research in general. I think that you guys are doing an interesting it's a fine line you have to balance right between getting genuine responses and getting you know and having to kind of dig and find ways to ask it in different Definitely, ways yeah there needs to be more done on that and there's there's this guy that we know um uh, kenzo nera does a lot of stuff on uh what he calls meta conspiracies right which is the idea that the the term conspiracy theory uh was invented uh in order to delegitimize questionings of power right and it was invented by the cia um mm -hmm. and kind of what touching on what you're saying there is that you know uh, even as researchers ourselves asking them questions about conspiracy theories, we could be conspirators to them. So he was saying, you know, maybe we could do a study. He was saying it sort of as a joke, but I think it's true is that we should maybe include a question, which is that uh, what kind of intentions do you believe the researcher of this of this survey to have? You know, what do you think we're going to do with this data? Because um, I think that would really capture more implicit kind of underlying right. conspiracist uh, perceptions, you know, of our research. There was a lot of interest from our viewers to have you guys on uh, to talk about conspiracy theories because people enjoy you know, learning about it, le like hearing about these conspiracy theories. I, I don't want to talk forever about what, what, you know, what conspiracy theories and stuff that you guys have heard of. But are there any popular like myths or misconceptions? I know there are with the work that you guys do. It's, it's grounded in the fact that there's myths and misconceptions. But what do you think are the most like interesting for you or possibly like the myths that you really want to kind of um, bring to the forefront about the work that you guys do? I think I've got one actually is, is basically just the kind of um, intentions of, re of science researchers, you know, I mean, we, we do a lot of data collection on Reddit and we get this, I mean, for the majority, it's quite positive responses where people say they enjoyed our surveys and they want to see what the results are and stuff. But we do get this kind of very um, sizable minority, basically really questioning our intentions and seeing us as, well, well, it's interesting, actually, the stereotypes they have are things like 
what are you going to do with my data? And I think that comes from things like, you know, the scandals around Facebook and how they use your data and stuff. But we don't do that. You know, it's, it's always been uh, anonymous. It's always been on like, you know, that we have all this ethics stuff that we have to do to make sure it's kind of like pass- stored on password protected computers, all that kind of thing. Right. And I think what people don't, it, it's easy for people to assume is that, you know, we just want to, I don't know, publish papers and get cool results and, and uh, lie about what it is and all that kind of thing. And um, I mean, it doesn't mean anything coming from me because I am one of them, but you know, it's, it couldn't be further from the truth, you know, like when, when I mean, all of this yeah. push for open science, I think is really important for people to understand that that's what we're trying to address here is is showing you our working out, you know, we, we have the data freely online for you to access and all that kind of stuff. So this sort of perception, it, it just it just makes me a bit sad sometimes, you know, that, that there's this perception that we're trying to manipulate the evidence or something, you know, and our intentions are the complete opposite where we're happy to have you know null effects or whatever you want to call it because it still pushes forward the, the literature and all that kind of thing yeah similar to that like um in, in a paper that i in my paper that i had published after my masters um that got picked up like by this uh, online newspaper which is really cool it's like my first sort of media attention on, on on my paper but what was funny was reading the comments uh, after that and you know i've done this research you know by myself with my supervisor i didn't have no funding or anything like that but then i i was basically lumped into like the they oh look what they are doing now with uh like you know this research like uh look, look how they're just blowing all this money on on this stupid research and i was like what are you talking about there's hardly any money spent on this you know uh, and uh and it was just little old me like doing it but it was really saying as if i'm part of like some some someone who's trying to derogate like conspiracy believers it didn't help that the headline of this uh of this of this article was something like believe in conspiracy theories blame your parents that was the that was the title of the the headline <laughs> so that didn't really help to be totally honest it was the daily mail online they're not really the the greatest newspaper but um but yeah, <laughs> yeah. i was wondering whether you were going to say the name or not there uh, yeah yeah no so yeah um but yeah so it's just like and i guess it it just didn't help that yeah it had that sort of headline as well like it just it's not really what i was saying in the research like at all but that's kind of what they picked out and then thereafter you know the comments is you know and i'm just thinking that they're reading this article and uh, they just think it's a load of like, I don't know, a load of rubbish. And uh, the scientists who've done it is part of the plan to derogate conspiracy believers and things like that. And yeah, as Mikey said, it's a bit sad and disheartening. So yeah, it'd be nice if that could be gone. Yeah, we're not grifters. <laughs> yeah, we're not grifters. <laughs> we're not, we're not yeah. conspiracy entrepreneurs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Even though you did this amazing research, science communication is something that's really unique and you have to have people that understand the science to be able to translate to the greater Mm. public. And so when you have like articles that are misrepresenting your work, it just delegitimizes the work that's been done and, you know, went through peer review, went through ethics, you know, Mm. went through years of reviews with your supervisor, right? These are things that we have to deal with that people aren't familiar with. Mm. And I think that's why it's so important that we have you guys on for things like, you know, for podcasts like this and other things that are, you know, legitimately, legitimately empirically informed uh, and getting people to be more aware of the process. Mm. And, and Mikey, you, you mentioned open science, which is something that we don't talk too much about on this podcast, but we have mentioned it. It's, you know, the idea that science should be accessible to everybody. And there is a bigger push to, to making, you know, articles accessible to people and not having to pay f- mm. stupid journal fees Ridiculous thing. to access research that should be accessible to everybody. Right. And um, that's, that's a, that's my little like, <laughs> my model my model <laughs> so i'm done with that uh but i think that the work that you guys are doing are all is is, is truly fascinating fun to, fun to engage with and and i see the implications 
going forward, especially with this, you know, vaccines right now, very mm. common in a lot of countries right now. And, you know, it's that's a, that's the most com- like that's the most relevant conspiracy theory that I am now seeing a lot more of that I'm not used to seeing on a daily mm-hmm, basis, mm-hmm. Um, actually engaging with people that believe this and are more vocal about mm-hmm. it. So I'm curious as to, you know, just before we go, like, do you think that COVID has kind of created this like readiness to ex- like just express your belief in these conspiracies or like, you know, I feel like people are saying it more loud, out loud I, I, these days, especially it's, it's relevant to everyone. And, and yeah, especially in Canada, but I think especially in the UK, especially in the US, you know, we've seen it a lot. And I think the point is it's relevant to everyone now. It's a global pandemic, right? And well, by definition of pandemic, yeah. yeah. And, you know, what we know is that, you know, existential threats, as Ricky's mentioned, lead to conspiracy beliefs, right? If we're all experiencing the same existential threat, we're all going to share this same maybe propensity to believe in these conspiracy theories if we were already going to believe it, you know? So yeah, I think that that relevant that universal relevance at the moment is the biggest difficulty i think to tackle there because it's just yeah affecting all of us mm. yeah yeah just on that so yeah it's this this is like a super threat that we're all still going through right now and even though you know it's coming up to two years or now or something like that but there's been points where you know it might be different in canada but uh, i i know that there's been waves uh you know in each country and and when the wave goes down everyone's like oh yeah the pandemic's gone and everything but no it's still here (laughs) it's still here uk's we're just about we're just about to come out of our our lockdown soon but there's actual real worries right now that there's this uh, new variant this indian variant is starting to spread so there's even more uncertain even though we were guaranteed near enough that we're going to be unlocking soon now there's uncertainty again. So this uncertainty, this existential dread is just continuing and continuing. So it's not surprising, I think, that people are more and more like maybe opening up about these conspiracy theories because this threat is just still there. So, you know, it's just a way for them to deflect from the threat, deflect from the reality of it. Um, I think that when COVID-19, I think you're right in that sense. So when COVID-19 subsides, people's well-beings and lives are better than you will hear less about these conspiracy theories. I mean, just obviously because the COVID will be gone. But yeah, I think the fact that we, it's these uncertainties that are still there with us, you know, even though we've got vaccines and that, we just don't know when our lives are going to get back together, um, back to normal. So I think we'll probably still be hearing about these for, for a long while. <laughs> this is a global thing that everybody's experiencing. You guys in the UK are experiencing similar situations that I'm experiencing in Canada, right? With conspiracy theorists. It's, it is an international thing that we have all experienced together. Uh, and in a way it brings us together, but it also can, you know, create that synonymous, like there's issues everywhere exactly. and they're the same issues for everybody. Uh, you know, and these conspiracy theories are, are gripping every country in a different way, but synonymously it's, mm-hmm. you're kind of experiencing the mm-hmm. same thing where people are kind of revolting towards this, this pandemic so it's, it's really interesting no yeah and while it is global you know we do have some some evidence that we uncovered last year that it is also linked to cultural orientation right so in countries that are more individualistic uh, our data suggests that they're more likely to believe covid uh, conspiracies than countries that are more uh, collectivistic essentially so while it may be global it may also be tied to yeah. our cultural orientations as well just add that little nugget of info at the end there <laughs> mm-hmm. absolutely is there anything that you guys want to add anybody you want to shout out or any way that people can connect with you if they have any uh inquiries about conspiracy theories hopefully not overloading you with uh you know random messages requests and well uh, and we're, we're, uh <laughs> i mean i'd say relatively active on twitter right ricky so my twitter is uh, at um biddle psych that's b-i-double-d-l-e psych as in psychology 
Um, I can't remember yours, Ricky. Mm-hmm. You can plug your Twitter. I'm just trying to find mine now. I, <laughs> I think it's uh, <laughs> uh, psych underscore green or green underscore psych. Either of those two. <laughs> Search both. Something like that, yeah. yeah. We, we'll add them as well whenever yeah, we yeah. post the episode so <laughs> you guys know. Right, yeah. <laughs> Something like that. That's yeah. how you follow us. Yeah. <laughs> well, one thing I was just going to like end on really is like if anyone is interested in researching this stuff, University of Kent is a hub for conspiracy theory research. Uh, it's obviously in the UK. Uh, and obviously there's there's plenty as 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 um, we've noted, this is a growing field. Uh, this this research field. So it's the last sort of twenty years. So there's lots and lots of scope um, and lots more to be found out. Basically, you know, there's we're only just uncovering the. I'm only just kind of coming up with theories and at the moment. So yeah, if any of your listeners are interested into researching this stuff, then University of Kent is is a good place. But there are plenty of others as well. But um, yeah, I just want to make that aware because I did my undergraduate and I didn't even. I it, I, it was only. Um, really late on uh, that I found out after my undergraduate that there was actually research on this area and as soon as I found that out that's it I tried to look for universities that were uh, doing this research and that's where I found the University of Kent so I'm just saying yeah obviously your readers will be aware because we are doing that research anyway but um, yeah there's there's lots of more lots more research to be done on this area so I love it yeah you're looking for yeah, a new recruit. colleague I love it. <laughs> yeah <laughs> um, the work that you guys are doing it's true though I mean I looked up uh, the first thing you google whenever you look up conspiracy theory and like in psychology university of kent's quite high up mm-hmm. there right so you guys are the the one of the leading schools for conspiracy theories <laughs> in psychology which is awesome it's nothing good. to uh it's a it's a good it's a big accomplishment uh, and you guys are continuing to add to that research in a in a meaningful way so i appreciate you guys coming on um thanks again mikey and ricky uh this is a great time uh, thank you so much for having us yeah, that was a great chat i really enjoyed that really interesting yeah cheers thank you Thank you so much for making it this far. That is our episode. Um, I just want to say thank you for listening. It's been really fun creating podcast episodes for the last three and a half years. Uh, Kyle and I have both really, really enjoyed all the people that we've met. uh, And we hope to meet more listeners, followers, and new guests in the future. So if you have any interesting guests or research ideas that you want us to kind of look into, we're always looking for new suggestions and new guests. So please do send us a line on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or you can email us at brainbuzzpod at gmail.com. We are always open to more feedback. I think we're probably due for a episode where we kind of just catch up with everybody and let everyone know what we've been up to, the research that we've been doing, as Kyle and I are both kind of rearing the end of our PhDs and we're going into our final years now. So lots of cool stuff coming out from our labs. And goddamn, people are putting out some awesome research right now. It just feels like the last few months have just been filled with so much cool new findings in the, re- in the literature that I've been reading. Uh, I can't wait to make that more accessible to everyone uh, and so you can hear it on this podcast so enjoy your day or night or morning whenever wherever you're listening to this uh, and we will be back in two weeks as usual with a new topic and a completely new research area that will be really interesting to listen to i can guarantee it thanks again i've been your host drake and stay suspicious cheers